Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Pathord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem Royal Hospital in South London. I'm joined today by Matthew Hotop, a professor of general hospital psychiatry at King's College London. We're sitting in his office and we're discussing a fascinating paper that he's publishing in the March edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry. The title of the paper is Bias in Psychiatric Case Control Studies, uh, and it's a literature survey. So, first of all, Matthew, what is a case control study? Well, we've defined it very broadly as any study where you've got a comparison between a group of uh, participants with a disorder, say schizophrenia, and a group of participants without the disorder who are usually referred to as healthy controls. So, in epidemiology, we tend to think of case control studies where you ask about things like smoking or asbestos exposure or whatever uh, in the past. But in psychiatry, there are a wide range of different parameters people look at, like uh, scanning studies or the HPA axis or whatever. So, for example, if someone was doing a case uh, control study of auditory hallucinations in schizophrenia, the control... Um, might be what? People with schizophrenia who didn't have auditory hallucinations? It could be. Uh, For the purposes of this paper, we just uh, restrict it to studies where you've got supposedly healthy controls, um, because actually most studies do that. There's nothing wrong with trying to get a group of controls who have the disorder but have but lack some feature of the disorder you're interested in. Um, But in this study, we've we've defined it um, in a slightly more basic way. And what's the issue about... how those controls are picked and and how they arrive to the study. Why is that so important? Well, every PhD student knows how difficult it is to get hold of controls for this sort of study. And they're always sending out adverts trying to get people to participate in the studies. And uh, it's often uh, their friends who end up um, participating. And the difficulty with that is that you have to think of what the control's there for. The control's really there in order to tell you about how common the problem or the parameter or whatever you're measuring is in the general population from which the cases have come. So if you've got people uh, who are selecting their friends who are PhD students, you have to ask yourself, are these participants actually um, representative of the population they come from? The answer, probably not. And why is that important, though? Well, say you're looking at some parameter of, I don't know, you mentioned some some fMRI study looking at brain functioning in, in schizophrenia, what you might be finding is uh, that you're controlling a kind of super healthy brain to someone with schizophrenia. Uh, people who are doing PhDs are obviously at a higher educational level, where sometimes one might question that with some of our students, but they're generally at a pretty high educational level, and for that reason, uh, they're not typical of the population from which people of schizophrenia are representing. So if you were going to do, let's take that example, if you're going to do a better case control study, where would you recruit from and what kind of healthy controls would you be looking for? Well, you'd be trying to get some kind of explicit sampling frame from the general population. I think that's the key thing, that when you're sampling um, people for this sort of study, uh, it's really helpful to have some idea of actually what are the processes by which someone gets into the study um, and it make that make that explicit. And so what you'd ideally be wanting to do is having people who live in the same sort of neighbourhood, uh, from the same sort of 
socioeconomic background and so on coming into the study uh, rather than people who are sort of picked by convenience. In other words, you'd want the people to be exactly the same as the people who got the schizophrenia, the only difference being they just don't have schizophrenia. Well, there's a kind of going too far the other way problem, uh, which is sometimes called over-controlling. Uh, and people with schizophrenia, for example, may not um, have... Uh, have attained a particularly high educational level because the schizophrenia has kicked in at a crucial stage developmentally. Um, and it would be wrong to kind of make them exactly the same apart from the schizophrenia. But what you want to be doing is having a pretty good shot at getting someone who, had they been in the population and got schizophrenia, would have actually got into the study as a schizophrenia case. Okay, um, so that's we've talked there a bit about selection bias, but another key bias you mentioned in the paper is information bias. Why, why is that important? That, or what does that mean? Well, information bias is really about how the information, uh, in other words, how you measure the parameter under study, um, is done. And it can really come from... T there can be two sorts of problems. One sort is when it comes from... Uh, asking someone to recall information in the past, and that's what a lot of people think of as the main problem with uh, case control studies, that you're asking people sometimes, say, about obstetric complications or uh, whatever, something which happened a long time ago and might be uh, affected by their disease status. So someone with schizophrenia or the mother of someone with schizophrenia may have done a lot of thinking uh, about what's caused the condition and may therefore be more likely to remember things which have happened in the past. And that's, that's one component of information bias called recall bias. Another component, though, is, um, is, is called observer bias and happens when the person who's doing the measurements, uh, in other words, the interviewer or the researcher, if you're looking at a uh, maybe structural imaging, uh, is actually influenced in terms of the measurements they make by the knowledge of the disease category that the patient's in. Um, so although you know, a lot of the imaging studies uh, look incredibly objective, uh, there is often quite a degree of human uh, judgment required. And the same applies if you're looking at uh, lab parameters, you know, whatever, um, immunoglobulins on a, on a blot or whatever. It actually requires uh, a human looking at the, uh, the data to actually interpret it. Um, and this sort of uh, bias, or the, the potential bias, is called observer bias. And of course, what might happen is if you're looking for a problem, if you're looking for something and you suspect it's there, uh, you may just consciously or unconsciously manipulate the way in which the data are, are, are measured. Uh, and it's very well known. It's not a sort of research malpractice, but it's just something which one needs to be aware of. But if you're blind, if you're blinded in, mm -hmm. uh, in the study, why I don't see how bias would creep in there. Well, that's right. Blinding is one way in which you can overcome that. Um, and some studies uh, report being blinded, uh, or rather the, the observers being blinded, and therefore they don't know the difference, they don't know whether someone's a case or a control, and that takes away the potential for that happening, uh, or certainly reduces it a great deal. The, the, the problem is that very often uh, one's not aware of whether the um, observer was blinded or not. So sometimes the, the problem with these studies, one of the things we're saying about these studies is that the... Um, it's not necessarily that they've all been badly conducted, but they are not very clearly reported. And so for someone coming into the subject new, may not know about how the measurements are made, may not know whether there's actually potential for um, observer bias uh, in the measurements which have been used. And the, 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 the people writing up the paper don't really help us out in those situations. 
Now, you're doing a survey of the methodology of these studies, and you're focusing on, on the case control aspect. Why is this important? What, what findings in psychiatry or medicine generally would get affected by, by bias in case control studies? Well, I think that there's a very wide range of... Um, th these studies are very, very common, and they're used for all sorts of uh, different purposes. Um, so a lot of the... Uh, imaging studies which have been done, for example, um, suggesting that there might be differences in the brains of people with schizophrenia and healthy controls, basically use this sort of methodology. Um, and that may not have direct, uh, immediate um, clinical uh, clinical implications. Um, a lot of etiological studies, um, for example, in, in general epidemiology, use this sort of study design. And it's a good study design because it, um, it allows you to look at pretty rare disorders. Um, you have to wait a long time for people with schizophrenia to kind of uh, show themselves in a general population if you're following them up for a cohort study. So case control studies aren't inherently bad, but they are used very widely for a wide range of different inferences. So is it the case that if, if the study's done badly, treatments um, that, that are actually not effective or inappropriate would, would come on, onto the marketplace? Or are theories about the causation of things like schizophrenia would be badly affected by poorly conducted uh, uh, case control studies? I think it's, it's much more the latter, that it's, it's about our understanding and the inferences which are drawn um, in terms of understanding the etiology or pathophysiology of disorders which are affected by this. Essentially what one's finding is that um, cases in these studies probably are the people who are most chronic and refractory to treatment uh, and controls are probably super healthy. Um, and so one is possibly getting an exaggerated difference which may be due to the difference, uh, maybe may due to the controls being um, so damn clever or the cases being um, particularly severely affected. So let's now look at the findings. What, what would you say were the main findings of your study? I think the main finding is that um, there is a very wide range of potential ways in which bias happens. And I think the difficulty really is that the description of the way people get recruited into the studies uh, is inadequate. Um, so what one generally has a hunch of is that you've got a convenient sample. In other words, the people who just agree to do the study when you wave a consent form in their face, um, a, a convenient sample of cases and a similar convenient sample of controls, and very little kind of discussion of what sort of problems might arise from that. So, for example, it, it's actually very difficult to know how many people um, with a disorder have been uh, approached by the researchers. Um, normally you'd want to know whether uh, you know, you're looking at 10% of the people with the disorder in your service who've actually agreed to participate and the other 90% have told you to get lost. Um, and you just don't have that sort of basic information. And similarly with the controls, um, you don't even know actually whether the control subjects were um, were. Uh, found by advertising um, and it may it may be that they weren't it may be that they were uh, but you simply don't have the, even that information so your review concluded that there was inadequate information most of the time to make a, a, a correct judgment as to the quality of the actual study and therefore what weight to give the findings that the study had come through with yeah, I think that's probably the fairest interpretation I think they're probably you know in, in this literature there are probably some studies which are 
have been conducted um, in, uh, to a very high quality. Now, I suspect that people who go to the lengths of conducting a study to, with you know, good methodology will actually tend to report that. Um, but it may be that they're not reporting. Uh, it may also be that they simply uh, aren't doing it very well. And I, I suspect, actually, that, um, that, that it's, it's a bit more of the latter. Now, the thing that I found really interesting about the paper was the fact that there were certain journals that, y that you seem to be concluding tended to publish better studies than others. Well, I wouldn't go too far on the journals. We did a kind of very quick and dirty rating scale of the, uh, of the different journals, and we found that, um, that most of them are scoring in exactly the same range. Uh, so for selection biases, most of them get three, and for... Uh, so, uh, so that's for the, the cases, for example. And what you find is actually the British Journal of Psychiatry was doing a little bit better uh, than most of the rest. The Journal of Clinical Psychiatry uh, was doing a little bit better still, but that had hardly any studies in it. Um, and uh, a similar sort of pattern for, well, the pattern for selection bias and information bias was in the, in the controls was less uh, clear-cut. Yes, but I thought you did you did suggest that there was a range across the journals, and the journals um, did seem to to cluster. In other words, there was a tendency for certain journals to be slightly more rigorous in the studies that they were that they had than others. There, there was a a general tendency for one to to find better quality studies in certain journals than others. Well, I think that there were. I I think this is about a kind of orthodoxy of the way in which studies get presented. And for example. Um, we showed that the biological psychiatry had the, f the, the lowest ratings in terms of desirable features for recruitment of cases and controls, um, and uh, archives of general psychiatry showed more, better methodology in reducing selection bias and controls. I think what, what happens is that there is a kind of, there's a convention which happens uh, within a certain subject, uh, and biological psychiatry probably is, is uh, publishing a certain type of paper um, and is refereeing within that, uh, w within that sort of area of expertise. And I think that people, if you're not coming at this from a sort of epidemiological perspective, you start, uh, you, you don't think of these, these differences so that you end up with a kind of uh, an acceptance of, of a certain sort of reporting which um, is, is kind of industry standard, um, but maybe not as, as good as it could be. Was it possible from your uh, analysis to get a sense of whether studies in general in this area are improving over time, or staying the same, or getting worse? Well, the short answer is no, um, because we only looked at a couple of years, um, and we haven't looked at it over time. We suspect that it hasn't really changed very much, and not many people have been sort of coming out with the kind of critique that we've been, uh, we've been suggesting. There is a move from within general epidemiology to try and improve um, the reporting of, of this sort of study, uh, and it may be that this will percolate its way into psychiatry. The really worrying thing that you report, I think, is that when um, other different studies with different methodologies, like um, a, a study which follows up a large group of people over a long period of time, what could be called a cohort study, when they were studying the same thing as case control studies, they often were unable to replicate the findings of case control studies. Now, failure to replicate is a really worrying uh, phenomenon in science, because mm. science is, is based on this bedrock of mm. replicability. So it w wasn't, wasn't that rather troubling? 
That's right. I think that there is a there's there's a worry there. For example, actually not. I mean, the, the, the example I think we gave was from um, was from epidemiology more generally, where there are situations where you can't replicate a case control study using a the, what's generally thought of as a more robust method, the cohort study. What we found, the examples we gave, um, more specifically to psychiatry, was when a population-based case control studies have been done, looking at, for example, um, brain brain imaging uh, for schizophrenia, one doesn't find anything like uh, the the size of the difference and uh, the the uh, diversity of differences between the brains of people with schizophrenia and people uh, in the healthy controls, uh, and that I think is worrying and gives us a clue that we may be looking at uh, a lot of studies which are using the same sort of errors uh, in in their design. The other thing you commented on, which I thought was very interesting, was that when people came to statistically analyse their data, there was of, there were often quite significant deficits in either the way they reported their analysis or their choice of particular analysis. Yeah, the one which really struck us very often was was the the fact that if you do a matched design, in other words, if you match your cases to your controls in order to get them as similar in terms of age or sex or whatever uh, as possible, um, then you really should be using a matched analysis. And if you don't use a matched analysis, um, in other words, take account of this, the way in which you've designed the study and in, in the way in which the uh, statistics are done. If you don't do that, you actually lose statistical power. Um, and it seems that a lot of these studies um, make that make that mistake. So what was the most surprising thing that came through to you for, from your research here? Well, I think that the... I, I don't think it's possible to say there's a, there's a particular thing which really struck us as, as surprising. I think that it was just the getting the overall temperature of the way in which the research is done. I think, actually, we, we were coming to this uh, with a slight sense of frustration with a lot of the literature, and we were kind of looking for this. Uh, we, we, we were being provocative and, and wanting to see some sort of dialogue and change about the way in which uh, the reporting and, and the studies are actually done. I think the perhaps the thing which surprised me most was that um, there isn't actually that much difference between the types of parameters which are being looked at. And I was kind of expecting that some of the more... Uh, the smaller, more sort of biological studies uh, would be worse in terms of their methodology. But actually that's not the case. And we found that the, the studies which simply rely on questionnaires, um, pen and paper studies, social psychiatry studies, whatever you want to call them, uh, these actually came out with, with similar sorts of problems um, on, on much the same sort of scale. What's the next step, though? Do, do we need to educate researchers as a result of your findings um, in order to try and improve the quality of case control studies in the future? Well, I think that probably what we need to see is something like what's happened in randomised controlled trials, uh, where there has been people putting out this kind of provocative paper for the last 20 or 30 years, and eventually that led to the consort statement, which said that there was a certain way of doing randomised trials which was acceptable um, and I think that that has raised the bar in terms of the way in which randomised trials are reported. Some people might say it's raised the bar um, too high or made it too difficult. And I think that it's it's less easy to be prescriptive for something like the case control study because uh, the the inference in a randomised trial is is very very kind of clear cut and clean. Whereas in in these sorts of studies, it's it's less like that. Um, however, I do think that there are certain kind of you know one could develop a checklist of certain things which. Uh, would be a good thing to uh, report in doing these sorts of studies. Um, and 
it's really about transparency and honesty. Uh, it's not saying that it's the worst thing in the world ever to recruit your controls by advertising. We know it's difficult to recruit people by advertising, uh, sorry, by, by other means sometimes. Um, but it's a question of making it transparent. That is the way in which it's been done. And I think that that would be a very good step if, if journals and authors actually took a bit more, uh, took, took those sorts of things a bit more seriously. But it also sounds as though um, researchers either just don't have the time or the, or the, the financial resources to go about recruiting the, the controls properly, or they need guidance in how to do it. So there's a standardised way of doing it. In a way, I, I remember from when I was doing research, it, it's actually clearer very often how to, how to recruit the, the, the clinical cases into the study, the people with the schizophrenia, than it is to, to think about the controls. The controls thing kind of gets left um, as, a, as a kind of thing that's not really thought through very carefully very often. That's absolutely right. I think it's 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 much easier to define your controls, and the cases um, are, are much more slippery. I think that there are probably uh, a number of things which could be done. Um, one thing which is happening at the Maudsley now is is a, a, an enterprise called Mind Search, where people are trying to recruit uh, volunteers from the from the population and actually advertising, um, so that there's a pool of healthy controls. And that gets some way towards um, overcoming some of these problems, although it doesn't completely deal with the situation because, of course, these are volunteer participants. Um, what I'm hoping to establish is actually a, um, a population-based control sample, uh, which would be recruited from using a cross-sectional population study and identifying people who, uh, who are not cases uh, in terms of um, in terms of uh, psychiatric disorders, uh, and and identifying them through this sort of study and getting them, to, getting them their consent to be approached for for future studies, and I think this is probably the way forward. If anyone's listening to this who'd like to be recruited as a control for psychiatric studies, how do they go about doing that? Well, I think the easiest thing is to get on the Mind Search uh, website at uh, www.iop.kcl.ac.uk. Um, and uh, you can volunteer yourself there. Matthew Hotop, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.